Hello and welcome to False Allegation Radio. Today, we have Mark with us. So, good morning, Mark. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks for asking. Yeah, good, good. So, where, where, where do you come from? Because that, that's not a UK accent, is it? No, I, well, uh, I am born in Jersey in the Channel Islands. I moved to Australia when I was 26 years old. I lived there for 20, just under 22 years. And I now find myself back in Jersey in the Channel Islands. All right, okay. So obviously, you know, you're here on False Allegation Radio today to talk about the the false allegations that you've suffered. But before, obviously, you got into this murky world of false allegations, can you tell me what life was like for you before before this all happened? Generally speaking, um, I had a bit of a wayward uh, childhood. You know, the usual yeah. uh, in trouble with police and whatnot. I was lucky enough to meet an Australian girl who worked for my father. We moved to, well, she wanted to return to Australia and I emigrated there. Uh, we lived in Perth, Western Australia. Oh, nice. Our marriage didn't last long. Um, truth be told, I was probably even at 26 or 27, still too immature to be married. Sure. But I decided to stay in Australia and, and make a life for myself in in, uh, in Perth. That was very very hard, um, but an extremely difficult place to meet people. But I persevered and, and did build a, a good life for myself. Um, I worked in the drilling industry or the mining industry and got injured. I I went back as a mature age student to study, which was quite a revelation for me, uh, given I was in remedial for some of my classes at school, did very well, and worked in the safety and health industry. And in November 2003, I set up as a consultant, um, a safety and health consultant, and did very, very well. And I had had a nice life um, working FIFO or fly in, fly out. Yeah. And um, built myself a home. And I ended up, my mum was dying of lung cancer um, halfway around the world. And at that time, I was probably quite needy. And I met my son's mother, and it all happened incredibly quickly. And oh, within seven months of meeting her, actually, sorry, within two months of meeting her, she was pregnant. And within seven months, we'd broken up. Wow. And um, I basically had limited access to my son during his first year. It was always um, at his mum's house, mostly. I never really had him on his own. And then she consented. Sounds bizarre because, you know, it's both of our sons, but she consented Mm. to let me have him um, on his own. And then we had a bad handover and then my access was withdrawn and then that's when it all really started to go wrong. I had to go to mediation and I I got limited time so I applied in the family court um, to get more time and after maybe a year that's when the false allegations came out. So you say you had a a bad handover, was that that like just frustration bubbling over on your part or was that something that that, that she'd done or was it just the the circumstances that you was both in at the time just sort of push you to that point? Uh, That's an interesting one. We, 
you know, we both had our own cars. She, you know, I picked up um, Tom ready to take him. And I, I can't remember why, but then all of a sudden things got fractious. And I said, well, it is my time. So, you know, I put Tom in the, in the baby seat, drove off. And as I took him to a local park and I got a phone call from the police saying that I'd abducted my son. Wow. And he was very young then. He was, he was maybe 30 months old. So I had him in my arms and I said to the, to the policeman, look, I, you know, I've got my son. I need to focus on him. I'm not being rude. He's fine. This is my time. There's nothing wrong with him. He will be handed over at the said time. And I'm going to terminate the call now because my son was, was started getting antsy and, and um, crying. And I said, as you can hear, because I'm not devoting time to him, he's upset. Yeah. So I need to I need to go. He will be handed over at the time and place that we agreed. Um, and I hung up. Now, my mind went into overdrive and I thought, oh, so I ended up texting his mum and, and handing them over early. And as I, I remember this as if it was yesterday, as I, I could I could feel something was coming. So as I had him, I used to carry my son all the time um, because I didn't see him that much. So he was always, his head was always level with mine. And I remember speaking into his ears saying, whatever happens, Babu, Daddy will always love you. Never forget that. Because um, I, I thought that I, I, you know, I may not see him again. And um, when we handed him over, he was standing on my knee on my knees as I was sitting in the car playing with the steering wheel and you know he had a big grin and then his mum came along and you know he was happy to see her as well and then when she took him she said you're never going to see your son again um, wow. and that's when I got a letter from the lawyer from her lawyer um, uh, her first lawyer um, which really shocked me because I until that time I was probably quite naive and that that letter um, but it was really like a character assassination, you know. Yeah, are they always? Pretty much, pretty much. There's there's nothing objective. It, it tells you everything that you've done wrong, and, and generally you haven't done anything wrong anyway. Um, very, very shocked. Um, so that started the mediation process. I didn't see my son for two months at that time. So, okay. Um, what, what, what are the circumstances then that actually led to you being falsely accused? Well, it, it really stems from trying to get more access to my son in the, the family court of Western Australia. So, you know, I, I kind of flippantly say, we, we, you know, I was in the court so much, they, you know, I should have got free flyer miles and really should have got my own parking space. Uh, you know, in such a short space of time, we were always in there. And just when you thought you might get traction and common sense would prevail, you know, it'd be like, right, we'll, we'll adjourn and then we'll have another yeah. persistent hearing. And as you know, everyone will, who's listening to this will know that scenario. Um, and I, I just sense that there came a time when maybe things, I, I don't want to say would swing in my favour. I think it, 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 I, I should, I, you know, would have swung into what I should have got as a father, more, more, more near equal time with my son. Um, you know, my rosters were such that I couldn't do, I wouldn't be able to do 50-50 and I knew that and I accepted that. Yeah. 
But if I got if I worked eight days on and then six days off, I could have quite easily had you know Tom for those six days. But I never had him for an overnight. And um, there just come a time. I remember getting a letter from um, my son's mother's new lawyer. Um, and they basically said your son won't be presented for contact and you're not to contact my client. And as it happens, we were in court not long after. So I raised this with the registrar and he asked why. And the other party said, we're not at liberty to say. So they gave him, they, sorry, they gave the, the, the party a month to sort themselves out. When we went back in, um, the judge said, right, have we resolved the issues? And they said, no, we're not going to present the boy for access. And he looked at me and said, right, you go to the Department of Child Protection and tell them that you're being prevented from seeing your son. And that's when they said, um, we are investigating the father for allegations of sexual abuse. And this was on April the 1st, 2010, would you believe? Um, so the joke was on me. Mm. And um, I had to get in contact with the policeman who was the specialist detective who was dealing with, with the allegations. Um, that That's really, you know, if I was to say in a sentence what brought about the false allegations, it was just me pushing for increased access to yeah. my son. Yeah. And do you know what? That that absolutely, Mark, is, is a very common theme. Um, you know, I, I'm not here to talk about me and my story. I've put my story out there. But, you know, something that, that struck a chord with me when you said it started to swing in my favour, that's when things changed. And if you've listened to, to what I said about mine, it was as soon as things changed and it looked like the balance of power was starting to shift came the first allegation and I say that and and you say that but no matter who I speak to now everybody seems to have this same um this same story that it ultimately it comes down to the fact that if the and and, and forgive me I'm going to use the, the the word woman and I appreciate it's not always women but if the woman feels like she's losing whatever the particular situation is that she's in it's almost like, right, well, you know, what can I do to hurt this person? What have I got left to drop on them? Here's the biggest bomb I've got. Let's go for it. And it, it always seems to be when they're on the back foot, doesn't it? It does. It, it, absolutely. And I, I call the false allegations the trump card. It, it is absolutely the trump card yeah. that I, um, a respondent can play. And... I, I actually referred to it as a nuclear option because once that gets dropped, nobody survives it. The, the children don't survive it. The, the, the man doesn't survive it. Um, you know, potentially the, the, the person who makes the allegation survives it. But they're always looking over their shoulder. You know, the, you and I spoke off air a minute ago and we said, didn't we, that, you know, these these people who make these false allegations don't seem to be able to move on. They seem to be absolutely focused on vengeance and revenge. And, you know, they can't move on because they're now living this massive lie that if it ever came out and they ever got caught properly, the chance is, even if they don't get in trouble with the law for it, if the children find out, 
who they've sort of got there on false pretenses now almost, their whole lives are just destroyed. Pretty much. It, it, I mean, it, it, it's all about control. You know, the, the word narcissist is, is bandied around. Yeah. I, you know, I spent um, extended time in America on, on several occasions, you know, seven months, uh, sorry, 10 months, six months. And I used to, I dip my toe back in the dating scene over there and, you know, I used to hear a lot saying, oh, my ex was a narcissist. And, and that word is thrown around a lot. And especially where parental alienation and false allegations are aired. I, I think everyone has a tiny bit of narcissism in them. I think being human in this day and age requires a small amount of that trait to survive but it's when it gets out of hand but I mean I'm not a psychologist um, you know I've done a lot of counseling myself to improve myself as, as, as many people have especially in this situation but the, it, I think it goes deeper than the narcissism I, I, I don't think narcissist really describes false alligators and parental alienators. I, I just don't believe it describes them enough. You know, another word is sociopath. Yes. Um, split personality disorder. And, you know, you could you can move on from there. Um, I've even heard people say schizophrenia, mm -hmm. um, bipolar. Again, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm, I'm sort of, you know, only speaking from experience. But... It, it, it boils down to they see the child as a possession. Yep. And it's basically, as with any possession, um, it comes down to control. Yep. And, and I think that's one of the key words is, is control. It's, it's all about, I, I say this on Twitter all the time yep. when people, you know, they're new into parental alienation, they're new into false allegations. And I'm like, you, you need to understand here, it is all about control. Yep. And once, you know, control and stemming from that, you, you said exactly the same words as I, I've used, revenge and vengeance. Yeah. So when you was in the relationship with this person, was she controlling within the relationship towards yourself? I mean, I know I know you guys split up fairly quickly, didn't you? Um, but was the reason that you split up because there was control over you prior to the split? No, not not overly, not overly. Um, my son's mother had a daughter from another guy and he he then had access including overnight but I understand his road to get there was very rocky and when you meet someone you know they tell you you know pillow talk or whatever you want to call it you you tell them your story they tell you your story and, and you don't really have any reason not to believe them no um, but looking back now I suspect that um, my son's stepsister, probably her father went through the same. And, you know, she was telling me what a bad person he was. And, you know, I don't doubt he was no angel, but I, I can certainly understand why he was like he was. 
Um, oh, you know, we every time she wanted me to move in, it was it was like my gut feeling was telling me I shouldn't. And and you know, when I was packing up my unit, there was always there was always something. She said to me, "You always create conflict so that you don't have to take the next step." So I guess uh, my gut feeling was telling me something. Hmm. Uh, and you know, from my point of view, I was incredibly needy because my mum was was um, was and and did die of lung cancer. Yeah. Back in in the Channel Islands, so you know, there, I was no way was I in a position to enter a relationship. And you know, I freely admit I'm not very good at relationships. You know, I learnt from my mother and father, although they stayed together. They were, you know, that was I don't know how, but they did. They stayed together till they, you know, both um, passed. But it, it, they weren't functional relationships, and that's where I learnt, and and not very successfully, I may add. So in that respect, you know, I have to take responsibility for my own past and actions. And I think that's quite important as well. You know, we all paint this picture that you know we've been in cahoots with this false alligator this you know person who's potentially got bipolar or, or a psychopath or, or a sociopath or whatever but ultimately you know i think what makes us um understand the situation better is when we can actually take a step back and say yes that person did do things wrong but equally you know there are things that i could have done better and i think that's how we can rationalise it that little bit better than perhaps they can. Um, how? Do, so, okay. So, obviously, you know, you you was falsely accused. Um, how, how did you go about clearing your name? Because the the thing is, you was only in a relationship for a really short period of time, wasn't you? Correct. So, you know, people who are in a relationship for a longer period are able to build the picture to undermine the case. They're able to show this person acts like this, this person acts like that. You know, there might have been a, a message sent that suggested something didn't happen, etc. How did you clear your name? Well, bearing in mind, the last time I saw my son, he had just turned three. So when, when the false allegations came out, um, and this is where it gets, this is where it doesn't, it, it, it just doesn't equate. Um, my son's mother said that um, my son had came home after a visit and he was saying things like daddy lick bumhole um, and, and various other things that wouldn't have been in a two and a half year old vocabulary. No, no. And, and the actions that she said he was doing. Um, you know, little, little boys play with their willy. It's, it's, you know, it's a fascinating. <laughs> do, do, does that ever go away? <laughs> yes. Look, exactly. You know, and that—that's the very thing. It, it, they, they, you know, these behaviours which are normal for little boys get sexualised, and oh God, Daddy must have done something to make him do that. But, but what he, what I was told, he said, he wouldn't have been capable of saying. Um, such things um, and so in my case he couldn't really be coached and we, 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 you know how did I clear my name you know sorry to digress it's okay no no 
When we left the, the court, the family court, I was told to um, contact this this particular detective who worked in um, probably the sexual abuse unit. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it was called. And I remember very clearly that I, I you know, I was hugely indignant. I, I think I was more indignant than angry and, and shocked and disappointed. So I called him and said, right, I want to come in and clear my name. And he said, well, I can't let you come in. One, it's a long weekend and um, we're closing shop. So you won't be able to come in until um, the long weekend is over. And it was a four day long weekend. And he said, also, you need to get legal uh, legal advice. So I did get legal advice and I was very lucky from the health club that I went to that I was friends with a, a very successful um, and very well-known criminal barrister. And he said to me, Mark, under no circumstances are you to go in and be questioned. He said, when you do, he said, the truth will be twisted. And he said, if I have to represent you, and he said, and I will do this pro bono um, for a mate, um, he said, it will make my job infinitely harder. Um, he said, they may come and arrest you. And he said, if they do, go quietly. He said, they will certainly, when they get you questioned, when they question you, he said, they will rant and rave and shout at you. He said, they may even get physical with you. Jesus. Do not, um, he said, just do not give anything away other than the mandatory information you have to give. And, um, you know, he said, I do have to ask, as your, your legal representation, did you abuse your son? I said, no. And he said, I didn't think you did. But he said, I, I do have to ask because it would, it would um, change how I represent you. So he said, I will call that detective now and let them know. And he, he said he, could, he made contact with the detective, but the detective didn't want to deal with him. Hmm. And after the long weekend, when I called the detective, he said, right, are you coming in? And I said, no. And he said, why not? You were all keen. I said, yeah, but you told me to get legal advice. I got legal advice, and my legal advice is it's not to come in. And it started, you know how bad this is going to look for you, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, listen, you must know that these allegations are false. I said, because they've come at a time when I'm seeking access. And he, he, he did say, well, that does happen. Yeah. But I said, I'm not coming in. And he got quite narky. And, you know, as, 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 as policemen are apt to do, um, they you know, seem to attract a certain type of individual mm. that, that you know, um, has a certain, you know, or have certain personality traits. And, you know, I said, listen, you know where I live? If you want to come and arrest me, come and arrest me. Yeah. And I said, that's really all I have to say. And he was going on and on. And in the end, I told him to F off. And he said, you can't tell me to F off. And I said, is this call being recorded? He said, yes. I said, right, I'm telling you again, F off. <laughs> I know where I live. Otherwise, leave me alone. And I never, ever heard back from him again. Wow. Never interviewed. Um, not formally anyway. Only, only the conversation I told you, the two yeah. conversations. I then called the Department of Child Protection. Um, they're not called that now, but that's what they were in those days. Um, had a couple of informal interviews with them over the phone. Uh, whilst um, supervised visits were trying to be instigated, we were told that we had to have a single expert witness. Um, I won't give the lady's name away, but she, she specialises in these types of cases. Yeah. And um, 
My son's mother got hers for nothing. I had to pay, I think, $1,500 for my part of the report that the court ordered. And we were interviewed separately and we were interviewed with us with our son so um, I was interviewed my son's mother was interviewed then I was interviewed with Tom and she was interviewed with Tom and it was my interview with Tom was on a Saturday Saturday the 17th 2010 and I said to her I'm actually going to walk away from Tom now because I don't believe this is in his best interest one of us has to be an adult and I and it's going to be me I could see my son, even at that visit, was, was very withdrawn. You know, you could see he was walking on eggshells. Yeah, tragic, uh, absolutely tragic. I watched him disappear up the, up the hallway and, and, and that was it. Um, going back to the DCP, you know, they, they didn't really ask a lot of questions, um, which leads me to believe they must have known that these allegations were false. I did ask how they interviewed my son and I was told that because of his age they couldn't directly ask did daddy abuse you so basically she had him in a room on her own this this lady and um, you know was just saying what you know where do you live and you know what do you do when you're at daddy's house and this and that and you know, I said, well, what did he, what was he like? She said, he talked about his mum, he talked about you, he talked about the toys he has at your house. And I said, and how did he present? And she said, he didn't present as a boy who was anxious or nervous, which would suggest um, abuse. She said he was very balanced little boy. So from the all angles really clearly shown, the most I got was a letter from the DCP stating, given that you denied abusing your son, we, the, the, um, the investigation is closed as we find the allegations of abuse unsubstantiated. So, short of telling you you're innocent. Yeah. Oh, no, they'll never do that. You have to go, you have to, go to a court of law to be found guilty or not guilty. Um, but they, they, you know, that's as good as I've got. If I wanted... My ex-lawyer didn't say to me, um, she said, Mark, she said, I'm, I'm shocked that the other parties pulled this. She said, I'm truly shocked. But she said, if you want to go to court to clear your name in court, she said, you're going to have to allow probably a quarter of a million dollars. And, um, and she said, that's not to say that the same won't happen next year. Yeah. Or the year after, or the year after, yeah. and the older son gets, the easier it is to coach him. So she said, um, I, you know, I had a block of land then, um, which I purchased, which was, you know, near the ocean in a nice suburb in Mosman Park. And she said, if you know, you'd need to sell that um, to fund this. And, you know, I weighed everything up and I thought, she was right. I'll probably just keep going through this every year until she can try and make the allegation stick. So, um, as I say, um, the last time I saw my son was September, sorry, July 17, uh, 2010, about 12.30. So almost 10 years now. Very close. Years in July, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I no matter, you know, how many stories I hear, um, 
it, it just the depths of depravity that these people go to know no bounds um and and i sit here as a dad as a son as a husband as a brother as an uncle and wonder what's next when will this madness ever end well even sitting there as a human being yeah uh, Take take away gender. Even sitting there as a as a as a, as a rational human being, it, it, it's um, false allegations are. You know they when you know you're innocent, false allegations is. is I, I honestly can't think. False allegations against your child, especially or any child, but you know in my case, someone so young. And knowing that I'd been through a torrid childhood, that I'd been abused at nursery school, although it was a couple of isolated incidents, um, you know, it's abhorrent. It, it, it cuts to your very core. It attacked yeah. your, you know, it attacks that very core goodness that you have. Yes. You know? yep. this, this little boy depended on, you know, depended on both of us. But when he was in my care, he depended on me to look after him, to take care of him. And, uh, you know, to show him the love and affection that I never got as a child. And, and you know, to have something like that levelled against you is, is, you know, oh, my God, I think you could go to prison and, and be bashed up by gangs and, and you know, beaten and, and, and it would have nothing on false allegations. No, no. And, you know, a friend and I, and I talked about this in an early sort of intro episode, um, but a, f a friend and I had a conversation once and, and we said how you can be convicted of murder and you, you can come out and, you know, it could have been a case of, oh, do you know what, that person who he murdered, it, you know, you was going through a really bad time, you had a really bad childhood, you know, you found whatever in jail that's put you on the straight and narrow, or it could have been that, you was out on a Friday night, you'd had a drink, somebody started on you, you punched them, and they fell back and hit the head and died. The point is, you know, quite often people will come out of... Not quite often, but it can happen that people will... I mean, there was a terrorist attack in London a few weeks ago, and it was stopped by somebody who had been convicted of murder and was at the conference that the terrorist was at. And he was then hailed a hero... But you can guarantee if that person was there because he was a paedophile or he was a rapist, whether or not it was a false allegation, he wouldn't have been called a hero. You can come back from murder is the point, but because, as you said yourself, a false allegation like this attacks the very core of your humanity and of your goodness... There just isn't any coming back, and that's why I refer to it as a nuclear option. There is just no coming back from it, is there? Not really. It, it, you, you've hit the nail on the head, and I do remember that terrorist attack. I mean, the guy copped a bit of flack, but generally he was hailed as a hero. Yeah. Um, you know, look at um, what was the actor from uh, EastEnders? Was it Leslie Grantham? And, yep. Um, it, he's a murderer. And, you know, he came back and was very successful. And you're exactly right. You, you can murder someone and you can come out of prison and people will say, well, you know, good on him. He's turned his life around. Yep. You, you know, you've taken another life or multiple lives even. Um, 
but when it comes to to, to you know false allegations it, it's you know it's just like throwing a, a dart blindly at a dartboard and it sticks and it will forever stick it's um once that hole has been made in that dartboard it doesn't go away does it no it doesn't and and you know some people will say well you know <laughs> there's no fire without there's no smoke without fire and you're like well hang on that's you know there's there's a presumption of innocence in in most you know in most um you know in most countries the law is the presumption of innocence you know australia has the westminster system of law and um, probably canada has something very similar in europe America has a, a slightly different system, but generally speaking, there's the, there's the presumption of innocence. Yeah. However, once you step into the family court, that's not the case. No. As false allegations are aired, you know, I remember saying to the judge, but you, I could see him raise his eyebrows, and he, you know, I said, yeah, come on, these are absolutely false. And he said, I, I can't make that determination. He said, I would be remiss of me to do that. He said, I, I have to cut contact with, um, you know, between you and your son until such time as this can be investigated and supervised visits can be instigated. And this is where it comes down to the money-making machine because once you have supervised visits, I mean, these were costing me anywhere from 120 to 150 bucks a time yep. on top of my child support, which was always over a thousand dollars, sometimes up around 1500, 1600 a month. Yeah. Um, and you know, there we have a stranger, um, following us around. I couldn't take, um, Tom back to my, to my unit, um, which he loved where all his toys were. We always had to be in public. I mean, luckily there was a, a big play area, um, that would, you know, had, been set up for kids and mothers but I was normally the only dad there among all mm. these mums with some older lady following us around um, luckily Tom was fairly oblivious to this but it was the lady who had to drop him off there or sometimes it would be his mother but it, it was just um, you know I think about my poor little boy going through this you know, he wanted to go to the toilet. She had to come with us. Um, you know, it, it was just, it, it just the, the sexualization of all of this. You know, I'd always taught my son when he was small. You know, when a man goes to the toilet, bloody dribbles are the bane of his life. And so, as a little boy, I always taught my my son to get a, a square of toilet roll, wipe the end of his willy, put it in, and you know, make sure he was dry. Yeah. You know. Even the issue, oh, why is he, he's got to call it his penis. No, when I grew up, it was called a willy. He knows what a willy is. He knows what a penis is. That's fine. You, you, you know, we, we stick to our own terminology. Exactly, yeah. And, but, oh, this has got to stop. He's not to wipe the end of his willy with toilet roll. I, I, I honestly, it, you know, I used to, I just used to sit there and think, what, what more rubbish could be thrown at me? How much more... You know how much deeper have I got to dig to try and get through this? Um, and I, 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 I thought with the allegations when I, you know, people say you walked out on your son. You know, they don't ask. They never look at why, and they never look that no. I actually did it for best interest of my son. And even the psychologist who wrote the ultimate report for the court even agreed that whilst not 
the best outcome, it's probably the better outcome at the moment. Yeah. And the son needs to be told that at some stage that, you know, the father did this for him, not because the father was a bad father or bad person. And I would make that decision any day of the week again, because I was the only one who had Tom's best interest at, at heart yeah. here. And I'll, I'll never I'll never deviate from that, no matter what people throw around and say, oh, you're a bad father for doing that. No, I was a good father. I was the one who actually, in fact, I was a good parent, not a good father. I was the better parent to, who stepped away to stop putting, you know, our little boy through this. And yet, no doubt, throughout this, the fact that you walked away in order to protect your son will be used as a tool to beat your character with, to assassinate you with, to put you down with. There, oh, there, there is just others. no winning, is there? No, that, that and several others. And, and, and that's assuming, you know, people always think that there's going to be a happy reunion. You know, trust me, there's not. If no. you would have found um, some, you know, some... Um, I'm in contact with people who've been alienated for 44 years. One lady in particular, Dawn, um, she posted a video on Twitter and Facebook of her reunion of, uh, four years ago. She got two years with her father before he died. He Horrendous. Away. Horrendous. Um, some, you know, I'm in contact on multiple forums with, with parents who just don't see, you know, just don't see their, their kids again. Um, they, they just they, they believe the other party and, and that's the end of it. Yeah. So when people say he'll come and find you when he's older, um, I'm always very skeptical. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, almost flippant because it, it, it's even if he did, is has too much damage been damage done. Damage been done, too yeah. Much to have gotten up into the bridge to, you know, I, I actually have an older son um, who's an adult. He's I think he'd be 30 now. And I didn't know about him until he was 26 years old. I had a one night stand and his mother um, didn't tell me about him, although we lived in the same village for, four, uh, for the, the first seven years of, of this boy's life. Uh, and Australia, he contacted me. And because I didn't see him born, I didn't have an emotional connection there. Where, yeah. you know, I, saw, I saw my little boy, Tom, born. You know, so there, there was a huge, huge connection. But with Andrew, um, we're not in contact. He, we, we, we can't make it work. I spent, you know, probably ten grand on him trying to help him get set up in business, um, and he just got bored and walked away. And you know, I, not that it was all about money, but you know, he, he had a very troublesome childhood. Um, he was always told his dad lived in Australia, and you know, fair play for him. Um, tracking me down, but there was no happy ending there. And I think I think that's the, the the hardest thing for a lot of us to sort of rationalise at times. It's all very romantic, isn't it? To say, oh well, the, there's going to be this amazing reunion, and yeah, we all want it to happen. Of course we do. Um, but I mean, you know, you're ten years in, I'm eight years in, and you know, you and I have both walked away for for. You know, for, for the kids ultimately, uh, uh, and if we stay and fight, it's used against us. And if we if we walk away, in order to sort of pull them out of that conflict zone, it's used against us. Um, 
you know, things have to change, and, and you know, I'm not, I keep saying it, but I, I do hope that this is going to be, in some part, a tiny catalyst to get things to change. But things desperately need to change. They really, really do. And, and you know, I, I appreciate people have been going on about it for years and years and years, but these, this is people's lives, isn't it? You know, enough's enough. So, talking about lives, how's yours now? Well, you know, thanks for asking. It, it, initially, I got on with my life. You know, the first year there was a shock. Um, but I, 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 you know, I got on with my life. I continued with my consulting. I built my, I built something approaching my dream home. Um, you know, I carried on going to the gym. I had my ups and downs, but generally speaking, I, my, my life was good. You know, I earned good money. I... You know, I was working in Laos, I was working in Papua New Guinea, I was working all over Western Australia. You know, I had a good name with my, my consulting business. I was never really sure to work apart yeah. from when the GFC hit. But when I look back now, there was there was such a the, the decline in my mental health was, was very subtle and very, you know, the incline was very shallow at that time. So mm. it, it, it really it. it it crept up on me, but it, it, you know, not that I would notice. And come around 2013, I'd finished a contract in Laos, and I thought I need to take time off. I need to finish my home so I can rent that out, and I want to go and visit friends in America and maybe do some volunteer work in um, in Peru. Yeah. And you know, I finished my home. I rented it out to, funny enough, to an American couple, and I took off to the US in November. Um, 13 sorry December 13 and I hooked up with people I'd met online and stayed with them and I still wanted to go to to, to Peru and I was messing around online on Craigslist and I, I got talking to this an English girl living in Boulder Colorado and we, we were talking and she said come to Boulder and I was like, yeah, okay, why not? It's mountainous. I like the mountains. And Peru went out the window and she met someone, but she said, still come to Peru. Uh, sorry, still come to Boulder. I'll, you know, I'll help you get set up. And and that's one of the happiest times of my life or yeah. since, since the allegations. You know, I spent seven months in Boulder and uh, 10 months all up in the US. And, uh, you know, I climbed. I met so many good people in Boulder. Then I, I thought that's it. I need to I need to get out of Australia. So I went back to Australia. I, I you know sold up, finished up what I needed to do there. But it it was like treacle. It was always like I was on a bungee cord. Just mm. when I it looked like I could leave, I was pulled back. And eventually I did leave. I went. Uh, I came back to Jersey in April 15. Um, but my mental health was, was declining quite significantly then, you know, lots of suicidal thoughts. My physical health was, was um, being affected as well. And my father died in March uh, 2016. I nursed him for a year. I used to go and see him almost daily. Um, and we made up because we never had a, a particularly good childhood or I never had a good um, relationship uh, we never had a good relationship when I was growing up. So we, we put all those those ills to bed and made up and 
I think that was a, a really good thing for us. And he always used to ask me, when am I going to see my grandson? And, you know, till the day he died, I had to keep saying, it's just not going to happen, Dad. And he kept saying to me, why would someone do that? And I was like, you know, that's the million dollar question, that's Dad. I, I, yeah. can't, I can't answer that. And I took off. My friend said to me, a couple of them said, right, you know, you've done the right thing by your dad. What will make you happy? And I said, oh, to go back to Boulder and see my friends and, and go climbing the mountains again they said right book your flight and go and I did and one of my good friends picked me up and I spent another beautiful um, six months in Boulder Colorado I was on antidepressants then um, Zoloft or Sertraline but I was I remember waking up with very very dark thoughts and I did some reading and I found out that the SSRI meds actually can exacerbate your issue and um, so I stopped taking them cold turkey and I, I still had a really great six months in Boulder it's it's definitely my happy place but when I came back although I had some enthusiasm for life since then you know 2000 summer 2018 I found myself standing under a tree with a rope around my neck um, you know and I still keep that noose you know I <laughs> I still keep that just in case I need it. And, um, you know, suicidal thoughts very regularly. Um, it's, it's extremely hard to find a reason to go on, really. Um, you know, I back on antidepressants, um, the old school ones. You know, I had to go on TRT, testosterone replacement therapy, to get my, my hormones and my testosterone levels where they need to be so I can actually, you know, get back on track physically. And, and yeah. thank they've worked. Um, what a revelation TRT is. And, um, you know, just trying to find projects to keep me, you know, to keep me going. I'm, I'm, I'm on benefits at the moment. I'm just not capable of working because of, of um, you know, mental ill health. So it, it, it's mostly been a steady decline, you know, and, I, you know, I hate to, to sound negative and, uh, you know, you just try and find positives every day to, to try and um, to keep going. You know, some days you just can't get out of bed. It's, it's almost like you're yeah. paralyzed with, with fear and indecision. And, um, you know, the one, the, the one project that springs to mind is that I think lawyers need to be held to account. I think lawyers, and I, I can only speak for Australia because that's that's where my issues took place, but I think lawyers need to be held to account. I think, you know, false allegations are becoming the, the strategy of choice for, law, for, you know, for family court um, legal practitioners. And I think that's one of the areas that needs to be looked at. And I will get back in touch with you at some stage because I'm just putting the finishing touches now to a procedure and a questionnaire to collect data to either prove or disprove that this is the case. And, and yeah. basically, to me, it revolves around um, whether that's their strategy of choice. My gut feeling it is and it's become normal operating or standard operating procedure. It certainly seems that way, doesn't it? And, it, you know, something needs to be done. 
you know, as, as we all know, the family court is one big money-making machine, and, and this is why it's so hard to get change, because, you, you know, it's like trying to interrupt Big Pharma or trying to interrupt mm. or disrupt uh, Amazon. You know, it, it's it, it's such a, it's taking on a life of itself because it's a multi-billion pound or dollar industry. You know, the lawyers, all these specialist reports that are needed. You know, even the people who supervise visits once false allegations have been made. You know, everyone's got their hand in your pocket. You know, it, it's <laughs> every so you know, so true, so true. And that you know, that's what's got to be disrupted. Um, you know, if, if if lawyers can be pulled into line, you know, whether, the, you know, they're regulated by their own body. Um, I've already reported, um, I was the applicant, so I've reported the respondent's lawyer, and, and I've got something back saying, well, even, even if she was acting on her client's behalf, well, you know, there's not much we can do. It's, but they can recuse themselves from the case. That is an option for them. If, if, their, if their client's behaviour, let's just say for argument's sake, their lawyer comes in and says, I want to use false allegations, if they believe that to be true or untrue, should I say, then they can recuse themselves and say, or talk them out of it and say, no, that's, that's conduct contrary to you know, the court yeah. and what's best interest in your child. But these lawyers never do because no. it's just a money-making it, it, it is money, yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and as somebody who had to pay for family court and all the jazz that went with it against somebody who got it all for free, um, I ended up with a bill of £25,000, which I think is about, I don't know, probably about 40000 Australian dollars, I would imagine. I'm guessing, roughly. Um, because purely it was a case of let's drag it on, let's do this extra, let's do that extra. And like you say, when you start getting ahead, I mean, I don't want to use that terminology, but that's when things, the false allegations come out and the nuclear option. Um, and then everybody else has got the hand in the trough, haven't they? And and, and so it goes from there. Uh so absolutely it, you've, you've, it is everyone's got their their hand in the trough and with lawyers i spent about 25k australian and i in the end i i didn't think they were doing for me what they should and you know they used to address their letters to the other party as dear colleagues I'm, and i'm thinking wow. well, they're not colleagues you know they're at, at this moment in time they're my sworn enemy yeah. preventing me from having not what I deserve, but what my son deserves to have, you know, a relationship with both parents. And I mean, it's not even just deserves. It's what should be the basic human right of a child, unless there is a genuine reason not to. That child has a basic human right to have contact with both of its parents. It, <sighs> Look, absolutely. And, and 50-50 should be the starting point. Not something yeah. to work up to. Yeah. In my case, it would never have been 50-50 because of my rosters, but that's fine. Yeah. I had no issue with that. No. I, I, I understood that. Um, I never I never wanted to take my son away from his mother. I just wanted overnight and, and, and more time than I was getting. But therein lies the problem. The family court, you know, the currency is conflict. The, the family mm -hmm. court does not work 
resolution doesn't generate income. Nope. <clears throat> only conflict. You know, the currency is conflict. That is the only thing that generates income. And that is why it's in their best interest to keep these relationships fractured. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely spot on. You absolutely are. Um, so so let's look to, to, to finish this off now. So... Um, one of, one of the questions I do have for, for yourself and every guest that I have on is if one of your friends was falsely accused, what would you say to them? What advice would you give to them? Uh, that's, that's an extremely difficult question because it, it, it depends under what circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The allegations are made. But it, it, let's say in my case it was... Um, it was because of the family court. You know, my first inclination would be to say, you know, you, you need you do need to clear your name for your own good. Um, probably take a step back. Don't get drawn into just throwing money at a lawyer. Try and let the system um, work for you. And probably the key piece of advice, which is probably counterintuitive to a lot of people as it was to me at the time, but say nothing to the police. Mm, yeah. You know you're innocent, that's fine. But say nothing to the police yeah. because I, I had a very good friend of mine who was falsely accused under different circumstances and his lawyer said exactly the same. The minute that you start talking to the police, so they'll come to you and say, on such and such a date, you abused your little boy. So you go back and say, well, that's rubbish because I was working remote location then. So then they go back to the other party and say, oh, you you, you sure it couldn't have been on his time yeah. off? Oh, yeah, maybe it was. So Let's see start, how we can make this story fit. Yeah, you know, never let the truth get in the way of a good conviction. Yeah. So um, my <clears throat> advice to anyone, absolutely anyone, who has been falsely accused, um, say nothing to the police, apart from your name, address, date of birth, and I think it's occupation, say nothing. Because if you say nothing, they've got nothing to use against you. Otherwise, it will be a case of you hanging yourself. And, you know, my criminal barrister friend and several others have said, um, you know, they've got, um, they've got murderers off. And they've said to me, irrespective of the morality of it, because when someone comes to us as a lawyer, we we have to represent them. That's our code of ethics. Yeah. But they say to anyone, you know, whatever the case, say nothing, because it, it just makes our job infinitely harder if you start spilling your guts up front, um, you know, under caution. Anything that's said that's not been under caution is, is almost irrelevant anyway and can't be used. But um, once they start wanting to talk to you under caution, say absolutely nothing. I know it's counterintuitive and a lot of people will look at that and say, oh, so what have you got to hide? What have you got to hide, yeah. Well, you have nothing to hide. It's your presumption of innocence. And that's what people need to remember yeah. that all these Western systems of law are built on the presumption of innocence. And once false allegations are made, and even if they're made in the family court 
although it continues to be a family court issue, these then become criminal proceedings, which is, is you know, that is most definitely where the presumption of innocence, innocence comes in. So I can't, I really can't stress that enough. And I, I absolutely know it's counterintuitive because you want to clear your name, but say absolutely nothing. Um, I hope to tell people to get legal representation because that sets them on a path where they're going to almost bankrupt themselves. But sometimes they have no choice. You know, once they've proved their innocence, um, then they can they can start moving on. In my case, I was never even charged. That's how bogus these That's things. L- just, just insane, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, insane is a very 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 apt description it really yeah it really is um and and the more people that i talk to and the more people that i network with the more insane things become um and and, and, you know uh, uh, at times during your interview today i've sat here with my head in my hands and just i've just thought to myself how have we got to this point as a society what are we doing and it blows the mind it really does listen it's been an absolute pleasure um the, the only other question um and i'm gonna i am gonna publish these questions but the only other question i would normally ask is what would you suggest to the government or president of, of the country that you reside in on how to change this but you've pretty much covered that with regards to you know the, the problem is the money pit isn't it Money is the root of all evils, especially in situations like this. And I think if money was taken out, both from the legal point of view and being offered as compensation to somebody that just has to say that they was abused, I think things would change and change very rapidly. I, I do agree. I think what needs to be done is is where allegations are made, certainly in the family court, there needs to be rapid response, that the response needs to be very rapid and very decisive. Um, Otherwise, you know, the more time that the, the, the accused parent and the child go without seeing each other, it plays um, as, as, as a social worker said to me, um, time is, the enemy of the targeted parent, but the friend of the alienating parent. And that is so true because the more time that goes, that passes without contact with your child, then they start coming in saying, oh, well, we need to reintroduce the the, 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 um, the targeted parent and child. And therein is another money pit because it all has to be supervised. Yeah. It, it's, you know, like I say, they, they've got your hand in your pocket every step of the way. Every turn, there's there's a hand in your pocket. There needs to be a very rapid response for false allegations. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, you know, perhaps pleasure's the wrong word with the subject being as it is. But it, it's been good to to talk to you. It's been good to hear your story. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say? No, look, thanks for having me on um, on, on your show. I will, I will be in touch. I don't know how many of your listeners are in Australia, um, but I will certainly be back in touch with you once I, I have my project up and running and, and hopefully um, there will be a way of promoting that if, if you know, even through Absolutely, your, your yeah. website or whatever. And, um, you know, it, 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 it may come to nothing, but I, I would hope that at least I get some responses so we can see how entrenched this... this um, 
you know, the strategy of false allegations is for these lawyers. And hopefully, you know, we can let them know we're on to them and everyone else is on to them. And hopefully enact some sort of change. Looking at the statistics, because that's a question I've never been asked before. Um, we have 3% of our audience in Australia. So whilst it's not huge, it does show that we have we have an audience there. So, yeah, let's let's promote that for you. Absolutely. I mean, would you have an issue with me um, putting this on my, you know, I think I have about 1,400 Twitter followers now, so I'm quite happy to say that I've been interviewed for by yourself, and if anyone's got any, uh, you know, got a story surrounding false allegations to um, to get in touch. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. Yeah, no, I'd appreciate that uh, greatly. If you can message me your, your email address, yeah. um, I can... Um, I'll happily do that. I think we all need to stick together in this and um, I'm, I'm always happy to promote. Fabulous. Thank you very much. I hope your Saturday gets a little bit better than it has been and I hope you have uh, a lovely weekend. And likewise, my friend, I can hear your, uh, I can hear your family in the background. So you're going in. <laughs> yes, family. they're uh, they're all going a little bit crazy at the moment, I'm afraid. But uh, it's, it's been a pleasure. You take care of yourself and have a wonderful weekend. Likewise. Take care. Take care. Thank Bye. you.